This is Latin Pulse, a weekly analysis of news and public affairs in Latin America. Brought to you in cooperation with American University's School of Communication in Washington, D.C. and Link TV. And now here's host, Rick Rockwell. Bienvenidos and welcome to Latin Pulse. This week it's time to recollect on how far Latin America has come when looking at the human rights scorecard. We'll do that by reviewing Operation Condor and its outcomes. But first, Kurt Devine is here with the latest from Brazil's anti-government protests and the rest of the news from around Latin America. Waves of protests rushed through Brazil this week. More than one million demonstrators rallied in about 100 cities to condemn the deteriorating quality of public services. Crowds also protested the high costs of the upcoming World Cup and Olympics. The protests erupted when Brazilian authorities increased bus and metro fares in Sao Paulo and Rio de Janeiro earlier this month. Although those price hikes have been reversed, the demonstrations continue with broader frustrations over education, health care, and inflation. Brazil's President Dilma Rousseff addressed the protests. Sabemos, governo e sociedade, que toda violência é destrutiva. Everyone in the government and the society knows that this violence is destructive, and sadly, it only produces more violence. We cannot support this situation, but it does show the democratic spirit of those who went into the streets to demand their rights. President Rousseff canceled a trip to Japan in order to address the rising tensions. The current protests are the largest seen in Brazil since 1992, when crowds demanded the impeachment of former President Fernando Color de Mello. More developments between the United States and Cuba. Diplomats from both nations have agreed to resume bilateral talks on migration in July, a sign that relations between Washington and Havana are becoming more consistent. U.S. and Cuban officials announced the planned meeting after finishing separate negotiations on direct mail services. Those services have been suspended since 1963. These diplomatic efforts are set against a bleak backdrop, however. U.S. government subcontractor Alan Gross remains in prison in Cuba and four Cuban intelligence agents remain incarcerated in the U.S. This week, seven former presidents from Latin America as well as U.S. government officials gathered at the Inter-American Development Bank to present ideas for policies that will strengthen the region. Our reporter Zach Cohen was also there and he has this report. Seven former Latin American presidents this week called for public officials to adopt long-term solutions for the continent's woes. Former President of Peru, Alejandro Toledo, pointed to the continent's speedy recovery from the economic crisis of 2008 as a sign of hope. Never before in the history of Latin America, the region had in its hand the unique opportunity of making a, a leap forward and entering the developed world. But the present problems of the continent did not escape them, especially in regards to energy, taxation, education, and manufacturing. Vicente Fox, the former president of Mexico, urged in particular for governmental accountability. I think that corruption is still a very widely spread cancer in the case of Latin America and only can be fought through real, authentic, Democracies. Twenty former Latin American presidents, including some here, formally advised the Global Center for Development and Democracy, the event's organizer. 
For Latin Pulse, I'm Zach Cohen in Washington, D.C. Mexican tequila producers may soon get rich off the world's most populated country. Chinese health authorities lifted a ban on one of the most popular types of tequila, known as blue agave, and concluded it has no harmful health effects. Previously, China only imported lower-quality tequila made with 51% agave sugar, but the changing of rules eliminates this restriction. Mexico currently exports 43.7 million gallons of tequila a year. With Mexico's president Enrique Peña Nieto recently agreeing with China's president Xi Jinping to boost trade, tequila manufacturers stand ready to capitalize on the new market. For Latin Pulse, I'm Kurt Devine. Thanks, Kurt. As we record this program, the calendar marks this day as the first day of summer 2013. And the calendar also remembers that the coming week marks 40 years since a coup in Uruguay swept in an era of dictatorship. June 27, 1973, that was the day Juan Maria Bordaberry, Uruguay's president, dissolved parliament and joined with the military to become dictator. Dictatorships would soon follow in Chile and Argentina, and those dictators would band together with others in the region to create a joint program of assassination for political dissidents, a program called Operation Condor. We thought this would be a good time to share the second part of our interview with Juan Raul Ferreira, which focuses on Operation Condor. Ferreira is currently the human rights ombudsman of Uruguay, but in the 1970s, Operation Condor had his name on its hit list, and at that point, he had gone into exile in Argentina. When Plant Condor started operating in, in Argentina, we saw tremendous cases, the assassination of General Prats, of General Torres, uh, Chilean exiles. And one day, uh, they went after us, and, and we were just uh, so far away from the idea that could happen. And two of our best friends and colleagues from different political parties than, than, than ours, one a democratic leftist leader, another the former speaker of the House until the time of the coup in Uruguay, were abducted. And if I, if I go into details, we have to speak days and days because it was... I mean, after that, I, I, I had to start believing in miracles. I don't know where they come from, but they, they do exist. Well, let me ask about this, because as you mentioned, many young people um, don't know about this history. Um, many young people don't know the name Operation Condor and what it was. So can you instruct us just a little bit about that? Operation Condor was, was a, a, an operation. Nowadays, we know and we they are available to, to the academia or public opinion, that it was a formal um, covenant or agreement by written, signed by the presidents and foreign ministers of uh, Chile, Argentina, Bolivia, Brazil, Uruguay, and Paraguay, which believed this was, uh, their fight was, was, was the Third World War. The, the, the liberation of the uh, so-called, according to their terms, Western Christian civilization against Masonic 
Jewish communist world conspiration. So anybody who did not share the national security doctrine inspired in military academies in the United States was a danger to, to society. And the United States also knew about Plan Condor and, and the CIA was informed, was it not? Yes, and, and nowadays we we work with, with, with very precise documents that had been declassified where um, the United States officials have conversations with the foreign ministers of these countries. One of the most important documents is a conversation between Secretary of State uh, Kissinger and uh, General Contreras in Chile where they even make fun about, you know, and they tell stories about, you know, certain Chilean leaders killed in Argentina and they make jokes about it, which I think, you know, there's a lot to learn about that. The thing is, um, very shortly, but, but I had dinner with the, these two friends that night. The ones who were kidnapped. The ones who were kidnapped. That very night, we had dinner all together, the three of us. My, my father lived in the province, like two and a half hours away from Buenos Aires. And I lived across the street from one of them. And uh, when it was like two in the morning, the son of the first one to be kidnapped, Hector Gutierrez Ruiz, went to my apartment, woke me up and said, my father was arrested. He did not use the term kidnap because that was like like something we we, we were starting to live this process. You know, we, we weren't really aware of what was happening. So my reaction was, well, let's cross the street and tell Senator Michelini. He, he will... It was not to see if he was in danger, but rather get his help. And when we crossed the hotel where he lived, while well, chairs were all thrown around the floor, uh, I remember this young woman who was a concierge in the hotel crying. So nobody had to tell us what happened. We imagined everything. Then his son came and gave us some details. So at one point, you know, I just uh, felt I had to go home and get dressed up and see which next steps we were going to take. We sent a taxi to pick up my, 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 my father to the province. And the doorman in, in the apartment building, I don't even know his name. I mean, I'm here because of him. I don't even know his name. Was waiting for me and he just made the sign, you know, go ahead. Don't, don't, don't go up to, a, to your apartment. And I didn't quite understand. And when I was already, you know, in the, in the corner of the next street, he came to me and said, there's a lot of armed people in your apartment. Since when? And he said, about five minutes after you left. So one has to believe, you know. The, <laughs> it, it, my father came from, from, from the province. And for 24 hours, we we didn't know which kind of protection we, we, we could give him and provide him until just out of coincidence uh, we met like three in the morning coming out of a taxi the UN representative 
which I knew because he had been in Uruguay. He would never recognize me, you know. I was 19 when he was in Uruguay, probably it was 9 or 10. I explained him what would happen, and uh, we went to pick up my father. He got UN protection. And a lot of people in Argentina helped us, most of them anonymous people. So it's, it's very hard how to explain this, this need to be grateful to people that we don't know who they are or whatever happened to them. We do know that a lot of people who, who denied <clears throat> the support that they could give us. To be very candid, the papal nuncio. He received us in the door. He wouldn't even let us in. They said if they didn't do anything wrong, they had nothing to fear. He closed the door. But there were people who had a lot to lose and who did not have the protection the papal nuncio had. And uh, when I remember those, those times of fear and tragedy, they are always associated to such strong feelings of solidarity and generosity that uh, it, I'm not going to say it makes it worthy, but but you 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 can continue living. You, 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 you can rescue that as a great lesson. I'm sure that informed your service when you went back to Argentina as the ambassador. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think uh, <clears throat> actually I went as ambassador to Argentina when a different party than my own won the election. And I think the message the president wanted to send through uh, was not only to the government but to the Argentine people that we were grateful uh, we have a tradition in Uruguay that being a small country our foreign policy cannot vary too much when governments change and rotate in a democratic way but I think there was a strong message behind it yes no 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 doubt about it and sometimes I had to live very uncomfortable situations. You know, at one point I was officially visiting the province of Cordoba. And when I visited the uh, military headquarters, the general in charge told me I was one of the people in charge of following you when you were young. And it is difficult to deal with those, uh, with those issues. How did you respond? Well, I said, well, th thank God it's a different time, you know, and um, the the whole issue of uh, forgiveness is, is very important here. The fact that justice be done does not mean you do not forgive. Maybe it's very, very difficult to forgive if justice is not done. What happens in Uruguay is that most of the people responsible, for instance, of Plan Condor, have never apologized. On the contrary, when they are interviewed in prison, there is a recent book published with the life of General Alvarez, who is in prison, one of Uruguay's dictators. 
He said he would do exactly the same thing, but would not commit the errors that made the the process reversible. And, you know, from a Christian point of view, I'm a Christian, you know, uh, uh, forgiveness requests uh, repentment. So sometimes you feel he does not deserve pardon, but one deserves the capacity to pardon, which does not mean that justice should not be conducted. On the contrary. We'll hear the third and final part of our interview with Juan Raul Ferreira, the human rights ombudsman of Uruguay, later this summer. And more on Operation Condor coming up. Democracy is synonymous with independence. Independence is synonymous with emancipation. Emancipation is synonymous with sovereignty. Sovereignty is synonymous with superiority. Superiority is synonymous with arrogance. Arrogance is synonymous with domination, and domination is synonymous with dictatorship. Dictatorship always finds its way. Amnesty International. Learn. Indignate. Act. Welcome back to Latin Pulse. This week, our focus stays resolute on memories of Operation Condor. Unless you think it's merely Latin American history, think again. The Argentine government opened new legal proceedings for those tied to the assassinations and disappearances that were part of Operation Condor. Those proceedings started this spring and are expected to produce at least two years of testimony concerning the human rights abuses tied to the program. We asked John Dingus for his perspective. Dingus is the author of the book The Condor Years and a professor at Columbia University in New York City. And in about 1973, 1974, you had a complete uh, turn, even farther away from democracy. The governments uh, imagined, with some justification, that they were in a war against international Marxism, led by the Soviet Union and Cuba. Uh, The governments, instead of just taking over, uh, overthrowing a democratic government and then holding an election, maybe rigging the election so their guy could get uh, elected. This time, they took total control. Brazil, of course, that start, stemmed from 1960s. Uh, in 1973, uh, you had Uruguay, uh, Chile, Bolivia, uh, and Paraguay, all under military governments. And in the middle of 1976, uh, the Argentine government was taken over by the military. These governments formed an alliance, a secret alliance, which enabled their military intelligence forces to operate in each other's countries, often in concert. In other words, they would set up operations in which members of the military of several countries would work together. When they would capture somebody, they would send uh, interrogators to that country where the person was captured. The example, uh, Paraguay, 1975, two of these were captured in Paraguay. The Uruguayans sent somebody to interrogate them. The Argentines sent somebody and the Chileans sent somebody. The Paraguayans really didn't know what questions to ask them because they were obviously fighting in somebody else's country. But when the interrogators came from the other countries, of course, all this done under torture, under terrible conditions, uh, I have actually obtained the interrogation records uh, and amazingly detailed questions provided by the members of the other countries of the intelligence from the other countries, and of course the uh, 
people who were being interrogated, broken, completely cooperating, telling them everything they knew, drawing maps, uh, describing, giving them the names of everybody that they knew of. One of them uh, actually survived the Argentine and was able to tell a lot of the story. The other one uh, was taken back to Chile in a term that we now use, rendition. He was taken back to Chile, uh, brought into a secret prison. I have eyewitnesses who saw him in that secret prison, and, uh, and eventually he was killed. It, it, it seems all the more au courant these days when we're talking about um, various programs from the National Security Agency and the release of the Snowden documents, uh, revelations of all sorts of programs. Tell us a little bit about how maybe Condor established the preface for what goes on today. Well, that's a fascinating question. Uh, I've was writing the first chapter of the Condor years on September 11, 2001, when the attack happened here in Washington, D.C. And uh, I, my thought at the time, uh, among all of the other terrible thoughts we were having those days, was uh, that the reaction to this uh, is not going to commit the sins that the Latin American military did when they thought they were attacked by terrorists, uh, their response was massive repression and secret operations like Operation Condor. In uh, Operation Condor, which I'll describe in a minute, has so many similarities to what's going on now with the, atta- with the war on terror that it's really frightening. After a year or two, I had to admit when I would give talks about Operation Condor, uh, the book was finished in 2003, 2004. Uh, that uh, that I was wrong, that the United States did go into the same kind of reactions, perhaps not as extreme, uh, perhaps with more of a veil of legal uh, of legality, uh, but many of the same uh, operations, many of the same uh, violations of human rights and, and human privacy. I think immediately of the assassination of Orlando Letelier here in, in Washington, D.C., when I think about that and wonder how legal that really was. Well, of course, it wasn't legal under any sense of anybody's uh, idea of the rule of law. Uh, I, the assassination just down the street on Massachusetts Avenue in Sheridan Circle um, was an operation carried out by Condor, uh, meaning that several countries participated in carrying out an international assassination. The similarities are that these are countries working together who go into another country to track down a man they have identified as an enemy of the state. The justification is very similar to the justifications we might use against some of the terrorists that we have tracked down with drones in uh, countries in the Middle East. The difference has to be whether or not the justification is valid or not. And we, of course, would say that the there was no justification uh, for killing a former ambassador to the United States, a former foreign minister of a democratic government. Uh, of course, that was a crime. But who was making that determination? The Chilean government and its allies alone, in secret, saying that this man had to be killed because he was a soldier uh, in a terrorist war against the military government of Chile. 
It's frightening when you look at the logic that is used in both of these cases, the war on terror uh, in the United States and the war on terror in the 1970s uh, in the military governments in Latin America. That brings us to that point where maybe you could explain to us exactly what Operation Corndor was. Uh, first of all, they were cooperating on the, on the pretext of attacking the, uh, this Junta Coordinadora, which was a, an alliance of the, of the four leftist groups uh, from Uruguay, Argentina, Bolivia, and Chile. And they pretty much obliterated them by the middle of 1976. In addition to, and those were not household names by any chance. These were, these were extreme uh, people on the extreme of the left, uh, Cuban-type revolutionaries. Uh, in addition to them, they, Operation Condor killed the two most important civilian politicians in Uruguay who were, who were organizing to return to democracy in that country. Letelier, of course, probably the most prominent uh, opposition leader of the Chilean uh, democratic forces. Uh, the former president of Bolivia, Juan Jose Torres, who was actually a military man. Uh, and a number of, of prominent democratic leaders, <clears throat> human rights leaders, people who were agitating, uh, who were working through the church. The, the targets went from the extreme left into the mainstream of the human rights and pro-democracy community and included some of the most important leaders who were fighting for the return to democracy. It was incredibly selective. It was incredibly effective. So it's beyond this reaction to the Cold War. It, it, it is an operation that goes out of hand. The justification for it was a Cold War, but not... Actually, they used the term, and it was an Uruguayan who came up with this term, that, is, that it's included in a... Uh, a cable that I have, a State Department cable. They called it the Third World War. They actually considered that they were in a worldwide struggle against Marxism and that the United States was not doing its job in keeping down the uh, subversive forces around the world. And therefore, the Latin Americans had to take this on themselves to go around the world and kill, uh, track down and kill the opponents that so it so it with this justification, uh, which really is goes beyond the U.S. concept of the Cold War. They break out of Latin America and begin operations in other parts of the world. We know of operations in the United States with Letelier, and we know of operations in Europe. I've always believed that there were other operations uh, that we have just hints of the of evidence. For example, in Africa, Angola, uh, South Africa. Uh, Germany, uh, and uh, definitely the justification was not just the enemies of the uh, Latin American governments, but the Marxist uh, proponents of Marxism uh, all over the world. How much did the CIA, how much did the State Department know about this and help this along? They didn't help it along uh, in, in any direct ways. In other words, it's it's not correct to say that the CIA uh, was pinpointing people to kill and then saying, go get them. We were complicitous. We, the State Department and the, uh, uh, and the CIA and the U.S. military, were helping all of the military and the intelligence forces that were carrying out Condor. 
we were providing infrastructure, uh, radio communications. We were providing uh, telex encryptors. Now, the United States government denied that Operation Condor was involved in the Letelier murder, even though the existence of Operation Condor was discovered by the, CIA, by the FBI at the time. And at the time, they said, <clears throat> oh, the CIA heard something about this, but they, didn't, they thought it was only exchange of intelligence. That was a lie. That was simply not true. And I say that after investigating this a long time. We were misled. Thank you. John Dingus, professor at Columbia University and the author of The Condor Years, our guest today on Latin Pulse. Well, thanks for having me. Latin Pulse is available in various locations on the web, including iTunes, Facebook, and Musica Q. To see the Latin Pulse archives of video programs on Latin America, you can check out Link TV's website, www.linktv, all one word, .org, and then forward slash Latin Pulse, also all one word. That's www.linktv.org forward slash Latin Pulse. If you'd like to respond to this week's program, you may leave us a message online via SoundCloud, or you may write us via email. You can find us at latinpulse at gmx.com. That's latinpulse, all one word, at gmx.com. Thanks for joining us this week on Latin Pulse. For our entire team, announcer Victor Kilo, associate producer Kurt Devine, and writer Zach Cohen, I'm Rick Rockwell. Escuchen nosotros vez. Gracias por su tiempo. Latin Pulse is sponsored by the Center for Latin American and Latino Studies at American University. The program is produced at the university's School of Communication with the support of Link TV. Theme music provided by Link TV with additional music from Canary Productions and Bath Time Music Publishing. This program is copyright 2013, Las Rocas Productions.